Listen to this. Zakamani, the flying winger. Here's Brad Evans. It's Steve. It's Steve. Who is it? It's Brad Evans. <laughs> Happy days are here again. Turning with a drive. It's Steve Zakawani. Evans with the left foot. He's an attacking threat, Brad Evans. This is so weird. The party has started. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Side by Side. And we're coming to you after a not disappointing, but the sound is dropping two points to the LA Galaxy. I think we were all encouraged by the second half, the return of Jordan Morris, Nicola Dero getting major minutes, Rui Diaz getting on the score sheet, all positives. And then even more encouraged after last night with Sporting Kansas City failing to capitalize on the Sounders dropping points. And it looks like it's in the Sounders' hands. So the Sounders have done their best in the past six weeks to throw this thing away and it just won't leave them. So we're in, we're in good shape. And we can talk about the Galaxy game, what went right, what went wrong, um, the game against Vancouver coming up. But there were so many questions from you this week that we're just going to run through a whole bunch of questions and try to cover all the bases that the fan base is talking about give you our perspective, our opinions, and I'm sure some will be right, some will be wrong, but that's the easiest way to cover everything happening in Sound the Nation um, this week and heading into Decision Day, which is always an exciting time. So, Keely, if you want to just start reading off these questions, um, we'll do our best to get through them. Yeah, um, we've got a lot of questions, so thank you guys for being super engaged. Um, really good questions, too. Uh, first one, and I think this is kind of the most obvious topic, is our current run of form. Uh, a couple fans are a little bit concerned. Um, Angel asks, two points out of 15 in the last five games. Worst run of form this, se- this team has seen heading into the playoffs. What are the absolute most reasonable expectations for this team? So how far do you think we can go still? Hmm. First, I want to comment on everyone's hair. Um <laughs> Steve, if you could just pull that out, it would be great. I think we've probably got the best hair game in, in Seattle, you. yeah, for sure, if not the podcast world. Yeah. Um, it's flowing, dude. Everyone is flowing today. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot coming from Keanu Reeves, so thanks. Yeah. I, I, I would say in normal circumstances, I would – and maybe normal – I don't know what normal circumstances are. Let me try to think what normal circumstances are. Um, if we had a ton of players injured and, you know, the effort wasn't on the field and, you know, I, I would be more concerned, I think. But <clears throat> watching the team play, it, it's there for the team um, to get to where they want to be heading into the playoffs. And I think that this last game will probably be a bigger benchmark and um, to, to, to kind of where we are at right now going into the playoffs. If they can play like they did in the second half against the Galaxy for a full 90 minutes, um, I have no doubt that, you know, the Sounders team can, you know, push into the playoffs and, and kind of right the ship. But if they come out lethargic lethargic once again and, and not marking on corner kicks and, you know, doing the little things right, then they're going to have a really difficult time um, heading into e- even the first round of playoffs. But Overall, not concerned, especially getting Raul back and, and uh, you know, Nico's coming back. Jordan's getting back. He's healthy. He feels good. You know, talking with him today, um, you know, he's a little bit sore from playing because he hasn't done it in a while, but he feels really good. So I think that that's encouraging for the squad. 
Um, but at the same time, can we be that encouraged by recent results? No. Um, yeah. You know, is, is it like 2013 limping into the playoffs? Um, I don't think so. I think this is a different squad and built differently than, than we were back then trying to make things work. Uh, so I think you'll see a more organized, disciplined team going into Vancouver and heading into the playoffs. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I think if the question is what's a reasonable expectation, I think always for this team is to win the MLS Cup. I think that shouldn't have changed. I don't think it should change that goal whatsoever. Um, I think one thing to understand is very, very hard to win games in MLS. It's very, very hard. You saw Sporting Kansas City going to Austin last night. Austin have nothing to play for. Sporting KC have everything to play for. They just win out. They get the number one seed and they couldn't win. Um, it's not easy. I think the Sounders clearly overachieved in the early part of the season, um, down to good coaching, um, players stepping up that you never had expected to attensio how he was a monster sissoko came in for a new who was at that time top three or four defenders in the league he goes out sissoko comes in and you don't miss a beat and you were picking up so many results you don't expect for example the sounders win in austin it's probably a game where you know if we drop points tonight that's fine and the Sounders always found a way to get points and i think now in recent weeks it's caught to them a little bit where you just can't overcome the loss of too many key players at the same time and maybe one or two guys have lost their form a bit. I think the likes of a Kellen Rowe, for example, isn't playing as well as he played in some stretches this summer. And that can happen. All these things happening at once, I think, have dropped the team's level somewhat. With that said, the experience of um, this group, so from Schmetz down to seeing Nico back, seeing Raul, these guys, there's no switch in pro sports, no switch. But... The closest thing to a switch, the Sounders have it, where they can turn it on when 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 push comes to shove. And I expect to see a good result in Vancouver against a good Vancouver team. They got approached that game like a playoff game, and then once you get into the postseason, they've been there and done it. And I think the level will be closer to what we saw earlier in the season than what we've seen um, in these last few weeks. I think so. Nothing to worry about. And expectation should always be a MLS Cup. Yeah, it almost feels like it's like the dog days of a very long season and a very weird season because we've had so many guys missing and now we're bringing them all back in. So there's going to be some growing pains, but I agree with you guys. I think we're in really, really good shape and I'm excited for Vancouver. All right, next question. This is from Just a Guy. Why aren't we seeing two more? Is it just that he doesn't fit this formation? Do you see us switching back to 4-2-3-1 next year with Chu and J-Mo playing on the wings? So a lot of people were asking about uh, Leo Chu and where he plays well, especially specifically with Jordan Morris. So what do you guys kind of see? Um, <clears throat> what I see is a young, inexperienced talent that has a ton of offensive capabilities, but I don't think is disciplined enough to start multiple games for this team. Um in this formation, it requires everyone to do the dirty work except for one up top, really. Um, and I don't think he's at the level talent-wise where you can just leave him and he's going to produce a really good cross, a really good chance, or a really good pass every time he touches the ball. Um, and so I think tactically right now, he isn't a starter, and that's why we're not seeing more of him or even more minutes, you know, he, he has performed well when he's come into the game. Now, can he do it for, you know, 
90 minutes over, you know, three, four, five straight games. The only way is to prove it is to, you know, have him do it. But I, I think it's too late in the season now to even try anything with him. Um, he probably came in a little bit unfit, probably came in a little bit unsettled in training. He didn't really wow anyone. So maybe he's a gamer and we don't know it, but we're not at a point in the season and we haven't been where we can just throw out um, a new player and expect them to perform. The guys that have come in and played significant minutes are guys that have been in the academy system for, you know, three, four, five years and that have got minutes throughout the last couple seasons and kind of know what the expectations are to be a sounder. I think you get some leeway when you're an attacking player, but right now it's that's why we're not seeing so much of Chu. Um, he, he isn't being trusted by by the coaches, and you know that probably has something to do with stuff we don't see on the day to day basis in, in a training session. Yeah, I think the very best you can expect from him, you saw in Colorado. He came on um, the team that day needed a spark. You know, the Sounders weren't outplayed, but weren't at their best. And he, he's something different. He's an impact player, obviously raw speed. You can't defend that and the kind of pace he has. And I think he came on that game and, you know, there was a lot of space for him and he can go 1v1. But if I can talk about the wing position and watching him, he's still someone who from, the, from minute one, I wouldn't start him. Because as a winger, you're not, it's not going to be just 1v1 the whole game, especially in today's football. It was a bit more before. Teams are too good tactically. They'll suss them out very quickly. The scouting report will be out and you've got to be able to combine, be technical, come inside when you need to. Um, the ball is fizzed into you. It must stick. You've got to know when to move, when to make a run in behind, when to make an outside in run. All these things that go into that position, I think for him right now, the game's very vertical. It's in front of him. He receives the ball. There's his target, the right back, go at him. That's how he plays right now. And you can only do that really well if that's what you do best when you're coming into a game it's stretched, there's space, um, the defenders may be a little bit tired, I think so. So I, I don't think at this point you can expect him to be a starter. I don't know from what I've seen that he's at the level of a starter because um, you're talking about um, a very good team. This is a very, very good team. And you're not going to change the formation for Leo Chu and he's not a wing back. So if, that, that's the way it's a bit tricky for him, yeah. What, what was the thought process bringing him into the team then? Because obviously he's a young player that, you know, has a lot of talent and he proved himself as, you know, a goal scorer, uh, you know, in, in, in Brazil to a certain extent, maybe not proven, but he had what looked to be talent. Is this just a shot in the dark for the Sounders? Um, because you knew that they were going to stick with the three, five, two um, starting the year. Right. Yeah. And then you knew that Nico was going to go out. So was this a Sounders saying, Hey, Maybe he can fill in as a number 10 um, yeah. or because he's certainly not a wing back. Yeah. So what was the thought process even bringing yeah. him in as a Sounders front front office? Yeah, I, I would guess my guess would be that the, the, the perception or assumption was that he probably was maybe a bit more polished, a bit more technical. And OK, when a three, five, two, but he could probably play up top. Sort of the minutes that Jordan got where Jordan came in as a striker towards the end, they probably assumed he could give you those minutes and maybe play inside a bit more. And I think he got here and was definitely a lot more raw than they anticipated. And it's like, look, this guy has to be out wide. He has to be out wide. He cannot play through the middle. And I think that's where they are. Now, if we go to a formation change next year, which I think, by the way, we probably will see um, just because I think if, if Jordan's fully fit and he stays here, um, I want to see him out wide in a 4-2-3-1. But... 
I think that's where Chua will be ultimately best. But no, I think to be completely frank and honest, I think the Sounders maybe had the assumption that his game would translate a little bit differently than what he what it has. I spoke to Casey Keller after one of um, his very first games, and I said I like him, but I think he's really raw. And in recent weeks, maybe not as raw as I thought he was, but still definitely raw. And I think this league is too good now to just bring in someone who maybe has good physical attributes, but tactically is not quite there yet. And the game is still a bit limited, I think. Um, so yeah. I think that's probably why we're not seeing him as much. I think <clears throat> also we have to remember how difficult it is to go to a place that's not your native language, that, that everything is different, right? It's a whole, it's basically, it's a different planet. And then yeah. you're expected to, right? As soccer players, we play our best when we're settled and we're confident and we're comfortable. And for a you know young 20-year-old kid to come here, no language, I don't know, family, right? Not the same food, not the same drink, what he's used to. Um, you, it's really difficult to pick up the nuances of the, of the language, even when it's spoken to you in Spanish and you speak Portuguese, yeah. right? We, we have to remember like how difficult that is and it can take, you know, time. So it's a project play. Um, a sh- I think you're right. Maybe they thought it was going to be a little bit more instant, but from what they've seen, maybe they're happy with having someone like that on the bench and get used to being a sounder and what it's like to be in the city and, you know, get comfortable. Yeah. And maybe we're yet to see, the best of Chu and he could be you know a top player in a year or two it's just exciting to see MLS clubs have more depth in general I think that that's a huge step and a big sign for where the league is going um next question um moving to a different player this is from Sandra Sounder Annie where is Christian Roldan's best position to benefit the team right now so I guess it's sort of a it's a not just his best position but where he is best served for the bigger picture we're gonna have this conversation for all of eternity i think um the, the right answer for him is never gonna be known his best work this season is a bit of a combination of when nico Dodero went down and he was forced to play slightly higher so in behind the striker sort of a hybrid eight ten um he did his best work and it wasn't because he's a playmaker in that role who could fill nico's shoes it's because he makes such good runs into the channels and from starting a higher position, he could really make that run. Instead of making a run from the sixth position where you're making a run in behind the midfield, you're starting up higher. He's making that run in behind the defenders. So he was getting into good crossing positions. His final ball was very good. His link-up play with his brother was very good. Um, or even when it was Kellen Rowe out there, he was very good. And I think him having the freedom to make those runs consistently behind meant him starting a bit higher gave the team a different look. And... He's so disciplined that you know he's going to come back defensively anyway. And so you don't lose too much shape there. So that's where he played his best football this year, was when he had to, was forced to play a bit higher. Going forward, he's going to sit next to Joao Paulo with him having a bit more freedom um, to run. That position belongs to Nico Lodero in this group. But I wouldn't be opposed to seeing Christian next to Nico, playing them as two tens. And... Um, the two which the team has done behind Rui Diaz, for example. Now, this means Jordan Morris is on the bench because he's not quite fit, but I don't know what the kid's best position is. I think he's fantastic in every role I've seen him. Um, he gets the job done. Um, he's someone who's going to give you at least a seven um, week in, week out. He'll sprinkle in a few eights here and there, and then every now and then you'll get a nine where he's scoring bangers here and there, but you know what you're going to get. And his name is written in concrete on the team sheet. Um, it's just there. And 
the only question is where should he play this week? And he's been a bit of a victim, like Brad was in a sense, where they can play so many positions that you start fitting other, you start fitting them around other guys and maybe not their very best role, but you'll take their second best role because you cannot move anybody else. But in this team, he did his best work when he was slightly higher, but I'm not too worried about where Christian's playing. I'm just worried, is Christian playing? I think that's the more important question. Yeah, yeah that's a tough one. He's, he's just such a well-rounded player. It's, it's the gift and the curse, not the Jay-Z album, Steve. It's, <laughs> yeah, great album. It's, uh, I almost would like to see him right now at this point in the season playing next to Raul. Hmm. And putting Atencio and and Zhao back there. And just right now, we're lacking that defensive prowess for some reason. And yes, Christian provides that, but he provides much more going forward. So maybe he's so good at getting him behind, and he's really good in the air also. And if you're not going to start Jordan, um, you're not going to start <clears throat> Will, obviously, is out. So give Christian a chance to, to play up top and get him behind and stretch defenses. And I, I know this is terrible. I thought that was a little kid, but it was a toy. It's my dog. I'm muting myself, guys. Squeaky just, toy. Just <laughs> hang in there. Hang in there. And it's, I, I know it's late in the season. So, yeah, maybe, maybe it's more, you know, Nico and, and Christian playing next to each other. But I don't think Nico does well when, when, they're, when he has to be disciplined so much. He's yeah. so good at, at wandering and, you know, overloading a certain side. And I think adding Christian to that space, you know, Christian's able to play one position and, and be disciplined. So you're just negating the effectiveness of Nico if you put someone next to him. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what his best position is, but I mean, I think in a 4-2-3-1, he's better apt at sitting in front of the defense. But with three back there, like, do we really need a second one sitting that's offensive? Might as well push him forward. I don't know, man. It, it's a tough one um, because he's provided so much going forward for this team. And he just does the dirty work, right? And that's what you need up top there. He's just a Swiss Army knife. He can basically do whatever you need him to do on a given day. Um, also, speaking of Jay-Z, I actually have a Jay-Z tattoo on my arm. What's the lyric? Um, life is for living, not living uptight from forever young. It's, so. I think her, it's, I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. <laughs> that was my second choice, actually. <laughs> yeah, that was my alternative. I mean, I still have my other arms, so we'll see. All yeah. right. <laughs> uh, next question. So this is sort of along a similar line. It's for Brad and Steve, um, from SSFC underscore J. As a player that was used all over the pitch, thank you for your service. What would be your positive critique of Kellen Rowe this year? What have you well, guys seen think, from Kellen? Yeah, I think his the expectation for Kellen from the fans, from the front office, was like, okay, he's going to come in and play sparingly and you know give us a couple minutes here and there. But if we're looking at the total of, of this whole season, I think he's provided way more than any anyone could have thought or imagined. Um, especially at that price. I think he's only on like 200,000 a year. Um, if you're getting a guy like that, that can, you know, play for that kind of money and, and be beyond serviceable for a team that was first place throughout the majority of the, of the season, you have to look at that as a absolute plus and win. I think right now we're at the stage where uh, with this run, you kind of just have to get back to basics and look at what the team did really well early in the year. And I think that was each player playing their specific position very well. 
and getting the ball to the players who need it the most. And, you know, we had Kellen on the podcast and I think he was the first one to say, look, I played the number 10 differently than most Americans. When I played number 10, I was a bit more tricky and crafty in college. And I think that Kellen needs to just get back to basics and connect his pass and get it to the players who need it the most. Um, I think I got into trouble a lot when I tried to do too much as a number 10 and I would get reamed in this in, in at halftime and, and at the end of the game from, you know, players and coaches. And in that position, you're expected to create. But when you're an American guy who's just kind of there because he's filling in a role, I think your job is more just to connect, uh, occupy space, win headers, um, collect the ball and, and get it to guys who, who are the creators. Um, and I think maybe right now he's playing a little bit too much beyond what, what he needs to even do. Um, and that's what I was told throughout my whole entire career. Stop doing too much. And so if he gets back to basics uh, and just connects the pass, then I think we're in good position. But um, until then, it'll be a, a dog fight between him and Atencio. Maybe Christian, we'll see what formation we play, but to, to fill in that spot next to Joe Paulo. On Brad's point, Kellen Rowe actually has the most appearances of anyone on Sounders this year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Most appearances. Next question. We are getting towards the end. Um, this is from TK. Is losing two assistant coaches at the same time this season having any influence on the troubles the team has been having recently? So any effect from Jimmy that's, and uh, Gonzo leaving? That's tough to say. It's yeah. very, very tough to say because you did bring in also Freddie Juarez, right. who knows MLS. So it's not like you brought someone in from the outside. You still have Preki, who's there. Tom Dutra, yes, he's a goalkeeper coach, but he's a coach. He's He's been at this franchise from the beginning. Um, he has as loud a voice as anyone in those coaches meeting as well. So I think you have enough people there to, to not draw a direct correlation and say it's because Jimmy went and Gonzo went and things began to fall apart because there was some really good form after those guys left. And I think, I think it's more to do with, um, it's very hard over 34 games. There's a reason you signed Nico Lodero, Raul Ruiz Diaz, Jordan Morris. There's a reason. And you haven't been able to call upon them. That's the first time they were in a match day squad together this season. And look how good the Sunners have done. So I think, no, I think this is more to do with a lot of other things. Of course, you miss those guys. Of course, especially Gonzo tactically. I think you've seen his Atlanta teams. He's tweaking and changing things. He's always trying to one step, um, be one step ahead of the opponent. And he's always thinking about the game from a tactical sense. And then Jimmy, I mean, he, I spoke with him um, um, a couple of days ago. I, I mean, he was mortified by the set piece defending, um, you know, when Chicharito scored. So I think things like that, he'd been the next day on the training pitch with those guys, probably working on the defensive shaped or something basic as a set piece where three guys chase the ball and you leave Chicharito of all people one yard from Stephen Fry. It's unbelievable. So yes, small things, but I don't think you can say had they been here, the team wouldn't have suffered a slump. Um, we've had many slumps, worse slumps with them here. So I think um, it's probably for different reasons. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I would echo what Steve said, and I'm trying to think as a defensive coach, uh, I depart a team and they do well, and then all of a sudden there's a dip in form, especially defensively. And the Sounders don't have a defensive coach yet, I don't think. Um, one that can take guys to decide every single game, and, and it's different when you're talking position-specific coaches taking you to the side versus a Tommy Dutra taking the forwards to the side and talking about their finishing. 
right? Things are relayed and echoed differently. So I understand Schmetz has a, a great overall view of the game, but it's different when Schmetz talks to the defenders than when, you know, a Jimmy talks to the defenders because he's been working with them since preseason on very specific yeah. tasks and little nuances that maybe Schmetz has an idea of or Freddie has an idea of, but it's not the same as me talking with one person and giving them info every single day and working with them specifically. So only so long you can have that, you know, honeymoon phase of, okay, we lost these guys. Maybe those little things are still in my mind. And then that's why we have coaches is because when we have the dip, they're there to give us that little jolt and that little prick saying, Hey, you did this wrong today. You got to focus or we're taking, you know, doing all the set pieces today and we're going to be sharp. Right. But it's not just a set piece on the weekend. It's what happened before that, that led to the corner kick. Yeah. Right. So we can focus in on not marking inside the box, but it's the play before two plays before that led up to the corner kick. Why are those plays happening? Um, the last thing you want to do is give up set pieces at this stage of the season. It's going to change games for sure. We know that. And so sometimes you, maybe you don't do set pieces on a Wednesday like you did before with Jimmy or defending set pieces because you think you got it covered, right? And it's when you lay off the gas just a little bit that you start to get bit. Um, so I think it came at the right time because I'm here at training right now. I stood outside while they were watching video. And the first thing he brought up was the set piece. And so you're going to see a different focus team on set pieces, especially going into Vancouver, who great service to the ball. They're fast. They're going to get in behind and you're going to give up set pieces. And with Brian White in there, right, he's an animal. He's going to yeah. literally crack his head open to get on the end of a ball, especially in this match. That whole team is going to be desperate in Vancouver. Um, if the Sounders aren't switched on, it's going to be a long night. And if they don't have a defensive savvy coach that can yeah. you know, get them through these small moments, it can be difficult. So, um, yeah, I think there's a little bit of something to do with the coaches missing, but not enough to change the season and, and certainly not something that the Sounders can't overcome heading into the playoffs. That's really good insight. And actually, the next question is from Trevor Silva. What's going on with set pieces? I guess you guys have already talked about that, but more specifically, what is going on with set pieces? It's tough to say. I. I always felt again I was not the player that you know would be given an assignment on set pieces I either will be on the post or they'll say to me stay high so I wasn't there but you know you've been around the game enough and you sort of learn I always just think I don't know this whole zonal you know zonal marking mark the space and I watch it and I know even the top top teams do it and some teams now doing a hybrid of marking the zones and then man marking I've always just been a fan of man marking Yo, 1v1, it's a matchup. It's a slugfest in there. Win your duel. Don't be the one to lose your one-on-one -on -one duel. Win it, we'll be okay. When you sometimes mark in a space, you're standing jumping and the opponent's on a running jump. So some of those, so you saw, um, is it Depoy, who made the run, the flick on Tichichorito. He had a running start, got there first, and he's tall anyway to begin with. So of course he's going to win the flick on against the Sounders guys who were standing and then reacted late. And then Chicharito was open and just scored. So I start there. I don't. I, I watch some of the top teams in the world in the Champions League and over the past couple of days as well, and they do it as well. Um, I think they they've probably got the analytics on where the ball tends to go. Here's the most dangerous spaces. Let's be there. I like old school man to man marking. Stick with your runner. You know, try to win. Yes, people get picked off and these things nowadays. You've got to fight through that and just win your duel. It'll be okay. So I don't know that it's a larger issue than just simple concentration and missed assignments 
um, board watching for the Sounders. I don't think there's anything more profound to it than that. Um, the goal specifically from the Galaxy and Chicharito's goal um, was board watching. They, they chased the board and forgot about the most dangerous man on the field alongside Ruby Diaz. And just like you wouldn't leave, expect an opponent to leave Raul inside a six-yard box by himself, you know, having an ice cream sundae, you know, check, checking the weather on his phone and then, you know, having a chance to finish the ball, you can't do that with Chicharito when they did that. And three guys were ball watching, beaten by one flip goal. So I think it's more individual lapses than anything systemic um, that the team is not addressing. It, it, for me, it's just mentality. And I, I actually don't have a problem on set pieces with man marking the majority of the players and allowing a couple guys to kind of search and hunt for the ball. Um, I, I liked when, you know, Chad Marshall was kind of free to just, if you have someone like that, that's so commanding in the air that can read the game better than anyone on the field, that's not a problem. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just a mentality thing. And if you look back over the course of a season, how many times a penalty kick has been called because you're jostling with a player inside the penalty guy, save for something egregious, it never happens. It is life or death in there. It's, um, it can change the course of a season and, and ultimately your seating on the last game of the year. So I think <clears throat> purely it's mentality and, and just getting to the ball first. Um, yeah. I think, you know, might just be a little bit lax back there right now. And sometimes that can happen. So like I said, sometimes you need something like that to happen where it just kind of wakes you up. It's like a little jolt of smelling salts. And, you know, I remember scoring an own goal, here in Seattle, I think we played Philadelphia. And I felt like even I was in the right place at the right time to make a challenge on the ball and it skips off my head and goes far post. So you can even be in the right place at the right time, get your head on the ball and score an own goal. So it's just certain situations that, that tend to happen. But that specific one, leaving Chicharito unmarked, is, uh, is obviously egregious. And I don't think you'll see the Sounders make the same mistake twice. Um, heading into the latter part of the season. I think it's a great learning lesson because um, you get to come in here and watch it on video and refresh. All right, what are we doing wrong? What do I need to do to fix it? Um, so it's a great, it's, it's actually a good time for that. All right, uh, last question. And this one is a little bit lighter uh, from Stacy Maddox. During the Anthem team photo you watch over the years, players' faces seem to be so deep in thought. What are you guys thinking about? Hmm. I don't know. Just get it over with. Yeah. Get it over with so we can go play the game. Are you enjoying the national anthem? Or just like all your pregame stuff, like when you're taking the photo, you guys look very like deeply in the team photo. Or, like, yeah. I, I don't know that I was like serious at that point. I think at that point, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think I felt more relaxed at that point. I could excited. I like, couldn't wait for the game's right there. I couldn't wait for the kickoff. Like I used to, it's always weird when I think back now because you know I didn't have long enough to learn exactly what the best habits would be, but you sort of learn what works, what doesn't work. The more relaxed I was on a match day, for me, it was just the better. And I never put more into the game than it was. It could be playoff against LA at, you know, Dignity Sports Park back then was Home Depot. It could be a playoff game at home against, it didn't matter. It could be the first game of the season. It could be a midweek, game in Dallas and you don't want to be there no problem I just always yeah I don't think I was thinking about the game at that point I was relaxed I was probably just um like excited for the whistle to go but everybody's different and you know when the national anthem would play I didn't like it because we had warmed up 
and then we got inside, we sat down for a bit, we did a walkout. It just was so long between warm-up and the kickoff and the anthem added a couple more minutes or whatever. And I just used to think like, yeah, this needs to hurry up so we can play and I can make a sprint or two and get moving and same with the team photo. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know that everybody's that serious. Some people maybe are, but in general, I think you're probably relaxed and just waiting for the kickoff. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm with Steve, although, you know, the national anthem is just, it just, it takes too much time. Yeah. It takes too much time. You're, you're expected to, we're not doing set plays. And so you're sitting there for an extra, you know, depending on who it is, you know, three minutes, and then you go and play a Canadian team and then you're sitting there for seven, eight, nine minutes waiting <laughs> to play a game. And it's like I did all this warm up to be ready and I got to sit here and listen, you know, whatever. It's tradition, I guess. Nowhere else in the world is it tradition. But yeah, that, that was always just like, OK, I'm amped, I'm amped. And then I get to listen to this song and, you know, I just want to play the game. That's why I'm here. Um, but I you're, you're to me, it was always like, OK, I'm going into battle. And mm-hmm. so I, maybe that's why it was so serious. And I didn't want to like joke around because I didn't want that. I always thought that if I like joked around and I had a bad game, that it was because I wasn't taking it serious. Um, And maybe that was the case. Maybe it wasn't. I never figured that out either. Um, Sometimes it was a bit more lighthearted than others. Of course, being a sub, you were always a bit more lighthearted coming on in the game than, than if you had started the game. Um, So yeah, I think to Steve's point, everyone approaches it much different. Uh, and whatever whatever makes them focus, right? You know, Jeff Park would do 10 push-ups right before the game, right when he went walked out onto the field. Omar, at stages in his career, Omar Gonzalez would lay on the field in Shavasana and take like 10 deep breaths before the game started. So, I don't know. Um, I think Jeff used to slap himself in the face also really hard, so I started doing that for a bit. <laughs> so, I don't know. What worked? Who knows? You know? Yeah, I think it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, we have the smelling salts there. We do. There's all kinds of stuff you do before the game. Um, but you really, yeah, I think once the game, once that, I always felt once the whistle blew, that like every ounce of nerves or, you know, butterfly, it just left, and oh. you just okay, here we are. Like, yeah, just make your first pass and play. And it's so weird. I think back now because I was walking down on the pitch for the first time in a long time, and um, this last week is you. Ne- I never noticed the fans when I played. It's weird. Like, I, it, as much as you can be 50,000 in there, 30,000, yeah. it was actually worse when you went to, like, Dallas and you could hear everything they were saying because it's, like, 20 people and everything they were saying, you could hear it. When it's 40,000 in one big voice, you could feel, obviously, the support, like the boom, boom, clap. You could feel it. But when the game's on, it's just, you're just playing football. It's just, like, yeah, I think I, yeah, want to get the game going, I think, is the correct answer. Well, I think, I think that's the biggest thing about be, being a professional athlete is that percentage of the percentage that can drown out all the noise yeah. surrounding your task at hand. Yeah. And that's yeah. what makes, you know, the best of the best able to do what they do, right? Because it comes with a certain amount of responsibility and expectation to perform, whether, you you know, you're Ronaldo and you've got a million different sponsorship deals and you go and shoot a video five, six days a week. And then you go on the weekend and you score two goals and then you go home to your family and you got to be, you got to, you got to be a family man. Right. Um, That's what makes them amazing. And then you look at Freddie Adu and he didn't have that support team and he just couldn't handle it. Right. It got too much for him. It's the same thing for the average athlete. Yeah. If, If we can't perform and drown out the noise that's around us, good and bad, then we don't deserve to be there. So yes, you, you feel the crowd, but you also, 
you know, it becomes white noise at some point because you're so hyper-focused on the task. Yeah. Which yeah. is good life advice. Also, I have to shout out Jonathan Wright, our anthem singer. He's amazing and he gets through it pretty quick. So yeah. good for him. That's no, the anthem's good, yeah. I, I, back to that point on there, Brad saying about the crowd yeah. and stuff where you went away like into a hostile environment. There's no equivalent in our sport. Like I go to so many basketball games. I wish there was something like, um, like I've been, I remember years ago going to Cleveland Golden State Warriors final, NBA final. Uh, I mean, the, the Cleveland fans were booing the heck out of Steph Curry. The heck. Next play, you got a ball pulled up half court, drain the three, everybody shut up. Like, I wish there was the equivalent of that in our sport. I don't know what that is, but yeah. you can just shut a whole arena, a whole stadium up. So um, that must be such a great feeling to just shut everybody. I mean, he shut the board from, I mean, like, almost his own backcourt. So, um, yeah, great, great points. Great, great points. Um, those are all our questions. Really, really good stuff from our fans. Thanks, everyone. Great. So, yeah, the scenario is simple. Sounders win and they get the number one seed, right? As, yeah, as long as they outscore, as long as Kansas City doesn't win 10-0 or something like that. I think it's Yeah, we, we made out the goal difference because Kansas City lost 3-1. So Match now we score. hold, yeah, we hold like basically all the tiebreakers at this point, as long yeah. as we win. Yeah, win and ma- at least match their score. Don't let them win 5-6-0. Um, Again, Sounders, I think, after 30 games played, had a six-point lead. That's evaporated quickly. But here we are, into the last week of the season. Something that I didn't think would happen was the Sounders winning out. And now it's just only, I think, New England can take away hosting um, MLS Cup from the Sounders. So, And for sure, we're going to have home field advantage through um the the, the the West, at least. So it's really good. And we'll be there doing the game um, Sunday, 3 o'clock. Uh, last game of the season, decision day. I'm sure we'll be whipping around to the other stadiums, and it's always a fun day. Um, I like the MLS switch to this a few years ago, um, where you can. Um, I, I, I'm curious, Brad, for you, because I played obviously in MLS, but I, when I played, the last day of the season wasn't all synced. It wasn't, and it kind of like I think we just had regular kickoff times. When is decision day? Were you guys wanting to be aware of the other results or? not wanting to know like did you go in at halftime and check your phone or did Ziggy yeah. or Schmidt say hey by the way they're 2-1 up and we need to get a goal yes well for me I wanted to know because it wasn't ever going to change the way that I played I think there's certain guys on the team that if you told them oh yeah if you know San Jose's beating Kansas City 2-0 so we can chill and relax I think there's guys that are like oh yeah take the foot off the gas yeah there are certain people you can tell on the team that and certain people that you can't so I think it's better just to play as if you have to win and keep it out of the locker room. You don't want any chatter at halftime like, oh, if we do this, if we do this. There's no what ifs at this point in the season Um, because that attitude heading into playoffs, that's not what you want to leave uh, in the locker room at the last second. You don't want to be on that bus ride home saying, what if we would have done this or what if we didn't look at the score? Did that somehow mentally change the way that we approached it? I don't know. Um, Yeah. I think, you know, it's very cool that all the games are played at the same time. Like, I love that. But as a player, it wouldn't have changed the way that I played. But I think ultimately I wouldn't want to know. Um, and I wouldn't want anyone else to know so that I didn't judge them afterwards if I saw a dip in their play. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 No. But, um, hey, I think Sounders, Atlanta in the final. Oh, boy. Ooh. Whoa. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. I, yeah. I just got this feeling sitting here, like right in my sternum. That yeah. almost happened in 2019. I thought for sure it was going to be Sounders Atlanta and I then know, it was, they lost. 
yeah. we would have had to travel there this time they would have to travel to us so yeah true um before we go key any over and under we do have over under and i did it as more of like a cascadia cup trivia trivia so there actually is a right answer to all of these now it's time for over under presented by emerald queen casino so the first one is easy over under number of cascadia cups sounders have won in the mls era over under three how many cascadia cups have the sounders won in the mls era over i remember winning in vancouver um twice i think it must be like four yeah over steve nailed it it is four yeah and you guys were both right so that was the easy one okay that was the easy one Medium, over under number of Cascadia Cup Sounders have won in the NASL era. Over under five. How many Cascadia Cups did we win in that era? Over under five. Over. Over. Unfortunately, we have also only won four during that. Well, that's only four, only four. Uh, Last one, Uh, over, and actually, if you guys read your uh, production email for this broadcast, you'll know the answer to this one. Um, So I guess it's a... Okay. Definitely didn't do that. Did not read my email. I, I over, think I read it. Let's see. Okay, over under number of goals Sounders have scored in Cascadia Cup results this season. How oh, many goals? Oh, that was when you put it standings. Oh, I, didn't I put. I, didn't. I gave you guys the standings in that email, so I no, no checking it. No checking so, it. Over under over eight. Under? Over under oh, eight. Over because it scored six in Portland. Total goals. Total yeah. goals we have scored in Cascadia Cup results this year. Yeah, yeah. scored six in Portland. Had a two-two tie against Vancouver. Two draw, yeah, over. Pretty sure we scored again against Portland. Yeah, it has to be over. It has to be. Yeah. It's ten. Yes. There you it go. is over. It's over. There ten. You um, you could have said that you read my email and you would have gotten. <laughs> I did read the email. I just glossed over the standing. I'm just kidding. It. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I know I'm long-winded in those things. Uh, this um, edition of Over Under was presented by Emerald Queen Casino, the betting capital of the Northwest. That is all for me today, guys. Wait, I'm actually going there this weekend, Emerald Queen Casino. Um, really? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I've, I've been craving a good night of roulette, and it's time. It's time. So, I'll be there. We'll see. Wish me luck. Um, but we'll be Sounders. So it's three o'clock. Sounders, Vancouver. Um, in Vancouver. I mean, what a game! It's weird as well to see the team away from home on the decision day, which is really, really weird. I think it's normally, the first time it's happened. Yeah, normally always here, so that'll be weird. But I mean, what a, what a massive game on the line! You got to treat it like a playoff game. Um, we'll be back next week, um, hopefully celebrating number one seed and then breaking down what that playoff matchup will be. Um, if it ended today. The Sounders would get a bye, correct? Yes, we have a bye if it ended That's today, and we play on Thanksgiving. Also. Oh, on that Thursday? On that Thursday. Oh, because Seahawks. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, no, we'll be back next week. As always, thanks for listening. This has been Side by Side. Talk to you guys soon.